Okay, so uh, we skipped the last week because I was I was out. But uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been um, talking about what I would what I call or term evolutionary error, and we're going to try to finish that up tonight. Um, but before we do, I just want you to, if you got your Bible, just as a reminder, what are we trying to get accomplished here? What's what's the purpose of this whole thing? First First Peter chapter three and verse fifteen. Um, Peter writes uh, in his letter, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And it's just as a reminder, what we're trying to get done here is we're looking at uh, how do you give an answer to the challenges that you're faced with on a, on a daily basis, possibly, or at least occasionally, when somebody says, well, why do you believe in God? I mean, don't you know that science has proved that God doesn't exist? You know, um, we have an answer, though, for that. We have a, we have a way to, to, to find that. In our, and faith, which is the accusation that they have, well, you just have blind faith in, in, in a myth or silliness or whatever, but... Just keep in mind, this is not blind faith. Uh, blind faith means that you're trusting in something that is, has no potentially verifiable evidence in it whatsoever, like uh, like mythological stories or something. But we have evidential faith. Uh, so when somebody says that you just have blind faith, you say, no, I have evidence. And what is your evidence? Well, your evidence is actually scientific so the arguments that a non-believer would make that you don't believe in science or that Christians have to have to choose between having blind faith or believing in science, well, no, science is, is what is our evidence. God is a scientific cre- uh, creator. Uh, I was um, studying some things in 1 Corinthians for my class. I teach, you know, the, the, the real-life adult class and... and uh, we're looking at a section in the in, in the in the uh, book we're studying about order and how God puts order in His church and and in creation He ordered things and it got me to thinking the fact that science could not be science if there was no order in the universe. I remember we looked at a quote from Richard Dawkins a couple Richard Dawkins a couple times um, several times where he basically said that that the Everything that you look at, that you see uh, on the earth, in the space, in the universe, whatever, is there by random acts, and there is no design. We talked about, we've already talked about, actually, that what we're looking at is evidence for design tonight, but he said there is no design, it's just all, it just looks like it's been designed. It's random, but if it's random, how do you measure something that's quantifiable? How do you measure the speed of light if it's random? How do you... How do you determine how far away a star is if it's random? You know, how do you know what gravity is? How, how, how do you know how fast a rock falls if it's random? It can't be random. It's ordered. If it's ordered, order has to come from somebody. It's either, it's either going to be chaotic and random or it's going to be something that's ordered. And if it's ordered, then there has to be somebody who ordered it, who organized it and put it in a position that it needed to be. And that person is God. So we talked about things like how do you define 
uh, or how do you argue about design and so if, and, and so we kind of said you know if, if it looks like it's been designed then it's then it has been and if it has been designed there has to be a designer well there has to be an organizer to make something in order so to, so we have answers that's basically what I want you to understand we have an answer we we can give an answer for why we believe the things that we believe um, we don't have to. Uh, cower in fear about did God really create things? Or is God really real? Is He is is the Bible accurate? We don't have to we don't have to be fearful of that. We can stand confident in that, and that's what Peter tells us to do: be ready to give an answer. Okay, so we've been talking about evolution. I'm going to try to skip through a few things just to kind of get us where we need to be, so I don't run out of time again tonight. But just as a reminder, we're talking about right now evolution, because evolution is the big deal. It's the biggest argument that the non-believer has uh, against God. Uh, that, well, if it's not God, if it's not ordered, if it's not designed, then it had to evolve. Right? So this guy, this statue here of Charles Darwin, um, I put that up there so you can know what the guy looked like. He actually was a sort of believer. He he never actually came out and said he doesn't believe in God. He never claimed to be an atheist, but he just didn't understand how uh, how God worked. And so he wrote his book. But he's defined evolution as, as biological evolution is descent with modification. So so things were modified over a period of time as we descend down the timeline of, of history. Uh, things modified, and when they modified, they become different species and different creations and so on and so forth. Modification refers to genetic modification uh, that transforms a species into something from one thing to another. I was reading an article today. Uh, of course, they were slamming. It was a political article, but it was saying, well, the only reason the GOP is capable of doing anything is because of evangelical believers and so on and so forth. Not that that really matters, but the point of, it, of the article was, was that, um, that we just need to believe uh, because uh, man and apes are have the, have almost this is the interesting thing almost the same number of chromosomes. Now we don't have the same number, but we have almost the same, so we had to have come from the same source. That was the crazy thing about that article. <clears throat> so there's some mechanisms for modification, which we're working our way through tonight in the last couple nights. Mutation which is an error, and that mutations are never good. No matter what they try to tell you, mutations are never good. We know that mutations are never good, and we know scientists don't like mutations either because they're trying to figure out how they can cure genetic deficiencies. They want to stop genetic mutation because they know it's bad. But if genetic mutation is the way that evolution worked, then we should let people mutate and see what becomes of them. Uh, migration, it looks like similar creatures but differing traits. So that would be like, how, how come we have so many species of dogs? Or should I call them species? Varieties, breeds, that's actually the better word. I mean, how come we have so many different breeds of dogs? Uh, I used to have a beagle. It was a little short-legged beagle. But some beagles are tall. What's it, you know, but they're still beagles. They're not different species. Genetic drift is uh, the shift of population that have particular traits like uh, why certain breeds or, or, or species of animals survive in certain places and not others, just because they're not compatible with those locations. And then natural selection, traits that allow for or emphasize survival or reproduction. 
that kind of that encapsulates all of these things, actually. So, uh, just want to mention this. This is uh, a quote by one of the uh, uh, proponents of atheism. He says, "In any aspect of philosophy or fantasy of evolution, there is no theory. There is no theory of formation of the first protein, the first DNA, the first cellular structure." The first cell, the first multi-celled creatures, or even transitions in between are just stories. So keep that in mind when somebody talks to you about um, uh, the missing link or how did we cross between this to that and different animals. It's just a story. They just make it all up. Um, and we know what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will after their own lust shall they heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away from their ears the truth, turn their ears away from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. And we know fables are nothing more than just a story. So, okay, so we looked at, we're looking at some of these uh, icons. This is what the evolutionists will point at and say, here, this is all these reasons that we know evolution is true. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them because I want to get to what I want to talk about, um, which... Uh, let me just skip through all this just to get through that. Because we talked about natural selection. We talked about homology, which is things are about are similar, right? Uh, remember, we looked at this picture here where uh, these different animals have arms. And they all have similar features, but that doesn't mean that we're all the same. Um, just like the horse. Just, they just throw a picture in a textbook and say, all the horses, this is what they descended from, but that's not the case. Because, you know, you can string a bunch of pictures together and make it look like anything. Um, this is a very iconic picture of us uh, coming from apes. Um, we know that that's not true. Okay, but what I want to talk about tonight is the fossil record. Um, fossils are probably the, the one thing that are the most tangible evidence that, a, not, that an atheist will point at and say, you Take a trip down to the Natural History Museum and put your hand on a fossil and tell you know, and then that's evidence for evolution because, well, my goodness, it's a fossil. All right. So uh, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Okay. So a fossil. What is a fossil? Well, it's simply a a, um, a naturally preserved remain or traces of the remains of an animal or plant that lived in the past. Uh, it is, I don't know, for all intents and purposes, it's a rock. It has it hardened into the point of it just being a rock. Right? Uh, we call them petrified trees, but a petrified tree is nothing more than a fossil itself. Right? So, so a fossil is is that item, uh, or, or in in the case of some of them, it might be the impression of that item, but the item is now gone, and there's just like a a mold of that item that is left. Um, so uh, there's estimated to be 200 million fossils in the world today in library or museums around the world. That's a lot of fossils. That's a lot of evidence against your God, as they would like to point it out. But what we're going to do tonight is we want to look at some things, because according to museums and textbooks and documentaries, the fossil is the tangible evidence of evolutionary change. But here's the fact. The fossil evidence in fact, actually refutes evolution and supports creation. This is, the, this is the lie that is being told to the world 
Because when you look at the fossil evidence, what you see is actually creation. You do not see evolution. You only see creation. See, it's how you perceive, it's how you present the facts that twist or lay out accurately. Because you can make anything say anything if you just lie hard enough. Okay? Um, Darwin, Darwin knew that the fossil record did not provide evidence for missing links. He knew that when he, when he wrote his book. He understood that. He believed, though, that this was a problem that would eventually be corrected because as the record at his time, when he was alive, the record was incomplete, and he figured that eventually somebody would dig up enough of the evidence and we would find the missing link and we would be able to have a whole chain of evidence from all the way back to the first uh, single cell that you know all of us came from that would be that was what he was hoping for and thinking the problem is it can no longer be used as an excuse because the more they dig the more they find stuff that actually points to creation so we're going to look at some of these things um, the problem with the, with the fossil people is is that it, they they desire to find evidence for evolution the paleontologists and all of those people they I mean they went especially in the early 20th century they just they were digging everything up as far anywhere especially in the Middle East and in Africa they're digging everywhere trying to find answers so what I want to do tonight is I want to give you six reasons why the fossil evidence is not evidence for evolution and the first one is that it cannot produce or prove evolutionary descent it cannot prove it it's there but it doesn't prove anything it's it's just a bunch of fossilized bones and and uh, the imprints of of animals that died and now they're imprinted in a rock someplace. But that's not ev- that's not evidence of of natural selection. That's not evidence of mutation. That's just a fossil. So we got to start with that. You can't point at something and say there's evidence for mutation when all you have is an impression of a dead animal. That's all it is. So. Um, all creatures in the fossil uh, record, when you look at a fossil record, all of them are fully developed plants and animals. Except for us. I'll show you one. that. Well, even then, it was fully developed. Uh, it was a uh, an animal giving birth at the time it became a fossil. That's pretty cool. Okay, but it was still a fully formed um, uh, baby when it happened. To prove Darwin evolution would require the existence of a vast number of partially formed creatures and partially formed organs and partially formed structures. You ha- because it's mutating. See, they say, okay, things mutate. So a mutation doesn't come out fully developed into the final product. So if in the fossil record, we should see, you know, like, like just, the, just the stub of the shoulder, but no hand. Right? I mean, why do we see the whole fully formed body? Because there's no evidence of anything being partially mutated. So apart from a few questionable examples, the record doesn't demonstrate all of these kind of things. Henry Gee, um, let's see, here we go. Here we go. Henry Gee uh, is a chief science writer for Nature Magazine. Some of you may have even read Nature Magazine. Um, and he's the author of a book called In Search of Deep Time. He said this, To take a line of fossils and to claim that they represent a lineage is not a scientific hypothesis that can be tested, but an assertion that carries the same authority as a bedtime story. Amusing, perhaps, even instructive, but not scientific. 
So you think about this is what they do in school, high school, college, different places. They take the fossil record and they say, here's this story. I'm gonna, and they will bring out this story about how ancient peoples lived, what they ate, how they protected their family, uh, how they cooked their food, and all they have is a partial brain uh, skull fragment and maybe a, a leg bone. And they have developed an entire story of these people. How do they do that from a piece of a skull and a leg bone? It's just incredible. But they just push it off as if it is, is true. Okay, so the second reason that it is false is because the fossil records geologic column has a major problem. Does anybody know what I mean by geologic column? Okay. I don't hardly know either, so don't feel bad. Okay, so the columns supposedly consist of this. Let me just give you all three of these right now. The Paleozoic, you probably have heard some of these terms when I roll them up there. The Paleozoic age, uh, which is a bunch of multi-celled organisms, so that would be all of this. And within the Paleozoic, you have the Precambrian, the Cambrian, and then all of these all the way up through here. And then you have the Mesozoic age where the reptiles and the dinosaurs. So here's the Jurassic age, you know, like the movie from Jurassic Park. So that puts them in this time frame. I don't know, I can't read what this says. Forty million years ago, uh, that's where supposedly where the first birds were and things like that. And then you have the Cenozoic age where the mammals came out and man started wandering around with the mammoths. So all of this way back here, 100 million years ago, 72 million years ago, and then on up until present day. That would be the geologic column that they like to talk about. There are several problems with this approach, though, and that is that some of the, uh, the layers of dirt, that's basically what they're talking about, is dirt that's piled on top of dirt and piled on top of dirt. If you ever been to the, anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? I have never been, but I've seen pictures. So you see how there's like layers. You can see this down to the Ozarks too. I mean, there's just layers, right? Okay, different kinds of dirt. Well, that would be the geologic column, but in massive quantities where the, you know, all I can think when I see this is that the earth was really small at one time and it just kept getting bigger because more dirt kept piling on top of it. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way to me that makes sense. Although I don't think that actually would happen. Anyway, there's, there's unconformities uh, in the uh, difference in levels. And this picture doesn't actually show the differences. But when, when you dig down into this and you look at this, sometimes they find the wrong kind of dirt at the level where they find it. They find one kind of dirt, then they go someplace else and dig, and it's a different kind of dirt. But it's at the same supposedly level of where they're digging at. How does that happen? Because well, God turned everything upside down. You know, when... Uh, Genesis chapter 6, when uh, God said that uh, he was going to bring a flood to the, to the world, and in that whole section, that whole passage in there, that, that, that whole story of Noah and the ark and everything, and when, when the, uh, the, 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 the deep was broken up and the whole earth was just broken all into pieces and water flooded all over everything, it messed up a lot of stuff. And so really what we're talking about is that story when we get right down to it. Um, so... Many rock formations were discovered with fossils completely out of order. Like they were finding fossils from the Precambrian age on top of the Cretaceous age. So the way, they, the way the scientists and paleontologists and archaeologists and everybody, the way they define how old stuff is is, the, is where they find it in the dirt. 
And if they find it at a certain level, they say, well, this is Precambrian fossil because they found it in that dirt that's supposed to be Precambrian. So let me just go back up for just a second. Let me back up. Okay, so Precambrian is here, and Crustaceous is up here. So they're finding these fossils up here. It's out of order. Well, how did that happen? How did we get these fossils on top of these fossils, or how did these fossils get underneath these? They don't want to explain that. Well, it's just a mystery, they say. Okay, so so there's a problem with the geologic column. Um, this is an interesting picture. This is a fossil right here. This right here. Anybody know what that might be? It's a tree. And this is different strata of the geologic column. Different layers of dirt, one tree. How'd that happen? How did one tree get covered up by different different kinds of dirt and then become a fossil? And it's standing vertical. Now this is not just one tree. This actually, there there, eleven different states in the United States have fossils that look like this. Um, let's see. 11 different states and several different countries. So, I mean, this is just kind of all over the place, all over the world. Fossils that are trees that are standing straight up and down. Okay, okay you would think, well, the tree fall. This is what normally they tell you about a fossil. The animal dies, falls to the ground, you know, like if it's in the ocean, it, it dies, and then it floats down to the bottom, right? And then it gets covered over with dirt, and eventually from pressure and time, it becomes a fossil. But how did the tree that was standing up because everybody knows that a tree, after a while, it rots and falls over, right? I mean, the wind comes, a big storm, tornado flows by, boom, the tree falls down. And then what does the tree do? What does the tree do when it's laying on the ground? It decomposes and turns to dirt. But long before it has a chance to fossilize. But this one here fossilized standing up. So, oh yeah, Nova Scotia, that's where that actually was taken there. Um there's also problems with the fossils out of place. So we have, a, we have horse prints in Uzbekistan. We have human footprints with dinosaur prints in Texas. Uh, we have hoof prints that are visible in the rocks in the Grand Canyon. I mean, how did, where did all those stuff come from? They don't, they don't want to tell you that. Um, see, it provides or the, the, uh, the, third, the third error or the third reason we know it's not true is because the fossil record, remember I said it, it instead of, Instead of showing evolution, it actually shows creation. So it actually shows evidence of a worldwide catastrophe. There was a worldwide catastrophe at some point in time. What would that be? Maybe a flood. You guys ever seen a flood? You've seen the flood waters? I mean, what water can do from a flood? I mean, it's incredible how powerful... I mean, just let the Grand River down there flow out of its banks for a couple of days. I mean, it can tear up a guy's farmland. I mean, it can just destroy it. The Steamboat Arabia. Anybody going down to Steamboat Arabia? Okay, that was found buried in a guy's cornfield. But it used to be in a river. It sank in the Missouri River, what, maybe 120 years ago? Uh, and then it got buried in this guy's cornfield. I just find that incredibly amazing. The river changed, and the dirt flowed over the top of it, but it wasn't fossilized. <laughs> anyway, okay, so 
The fossilization that's evident in the global fossil beds does not occur naturally. Fossilization is not a natural thing. Dead animals are usually consumed quickly by insects, by other animals, by worms, by bacteria, and the whole animal is destroyed by the action of the environment. Um, probably, you know, just think about a, you know, a, a deer. If a deer gets shot during deer season and you don't find it overnight, it's probably going to be gone in the morning because the coyotes are going to eat the thing up. Or if a deer, or you know, if somebody's cow dies in the middle of the night, the coyotes will chew it all up. The buzzards will come down and take it. Uh, this kind of stuff, God created animals for the purpose of cleaning the carcass of dead animals off the earth. And it just gets consumed and it's gone and nothing flat. So why did we have, why do we have fossils of animals? How did they, how did they lay there long enough for dirt to cover them over and enough pressure to push down on them to turn them into a fossil before they were ever chewed up by bacteria? Um, we used to have, we used to have probably a hundred, no, five hundred million buffalo on this, in the United States. And, uh, the great buffalo hunters, Without any kind of regulation, they shot them all in a record time. How come we don't have fossils of buffalo? Because they would kill a whole herd of buffalo, leave them, leave their carcasses laying on the on the prairie, take their hides and take them to the market. But where's the where's the fossilized bones of the of the of the uh, bu- the buffalo today? Where's the fossilized bones of the lions that used to re- used to be in Israel? They're they're gone now. What happened to them? They're they're gone. Uh, here's an interesting dis- display at the British Museum of Natural History. So if you were to go into the, this museum, you would see this little sign next to this picture of a fossil, and it says, the fossils in this slab belong to a school of fish that died in the same place at the same time. Their freshwater lake dried out during a hot spell, leaving the tr- fish trapped to die. I don't think so, because birds like to come along and eat those fish long before they get you know, covered over with mud. I mean, you know, they're just going to, they're going to, the sun's going to, you know, dry them out and they're just going to decay. So it's just interesting. They're going to, instead of something happening right away, so God brought a flood in Noah uh, in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. He brought this flood and he, you know, and he, and he covered the earth for a hunt for a full year. And the earth is just covered over with water. And that's where all of this happened. So I'll show you more about that in a minute. Okay, here's this uh, ichiosaur, a fossilized ichiosaur that, that became fossilized while giving birth. So I don't know if you can see that picture very well, but here's the uh, baby coming out. Now, what happens with that? What do you do with that? Seven foot long animal, so here's the mouth of the animal, there's the tail. And there's the there's the baby, and it became a fossil while she was giving birth. Now, that doesn't even make sense to say that that has to be evidence of evolution. Um, this is another fossilized fish called a Crustaceus santana. It's preserved so perfectly that the skin, the scales, and the muscle fiber, and even the gills and the veins were visible in the fossil. It became fossilized that fast. Uh, in one female uh, specimen, the ovaries were preserved that were developing eggs inside. Uh, it's just, I mean, this fossil, these, these became fossilized not over time, 
with a lot of pressure, but rapidly, very, very quickly, because something catastrophic had to have happened. Uh, let's see, what do we got here? Another fish swallowing a fish. So right in the middle of dinner, he gets fossilized. It's almost like there was a superhero running, you know, with a ray gun or something. Um, okay, so number four, the fossil record does not contain countless transitional creatures that Darwinian evolution requires. There is no transitional creatures. Just, they just don't exist. Darwin said in his book about the lack of transitional fossils, he said, why then is there not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal as many there is such finely graduated organic chain, and this perhaps is the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against my theory. He knew his theory was wrong when he wrote his book, but he wrote his book anyway. He, he just kind of, you know, kind of padded the, the truth a little bit. Um, invertebrates. There are very few, if any, unambiguous ancestors of anything living that appeared during the Cambrian age. And we'll talk more about that at another time. But uh, let me just give you a couple more. The transition from spineless invertebrates to the first backbone fishes are still shrouded in evidence, or in mystery. So we go from invertebrates right to a fish that or animals that have a backbone, but there's nothing in transition between those two. Number five, the fossil record shows creatures appearing suddenly Fully formed. So it's just when the, there's, there was no fossils and then they find a whole bunch of fossils and all the fossils they find were fully formed. Um, Stephen Jay Gould says a species does not arise gradually by the steady transformation of its ancestors. It appears all at once and fully formed. Okay, so the Cambrian explosion, this is a, this is probably the best argument against fossil evo evolution. The Cambrian explosion, if you remember on, the, on that geologic chart, so you had the pre-Cambrian, there was hardly anything there. In the Cambrian period of time, what they call the Cambrian period of time anyway, because they've got to have a billion-year schedule here, otherwise they don't fit their timeline. So I'm not saying that all of this is accurate. I'm just using their words. Okay, so the Cambrian period of time that they're looking at, there was all kinds of fossils that were found during the Cambrian period. The layer is named after the rocks that are found in Cambria, Wales. Uh, so they were digging in the, in the country of Wales, and they got down into this. They found all of these fossils in this dirt at this level. I don't know how deep they went down to dig, but they were digging down. And they find all these, all these fossils, and they said, well, we're in Cambria, so let's just call it the Cambrian dirt. And that's really smart. <laughs> Um, so supposedly 500 to 600 million years old, and they supposedly represent the beginning of life. Uh, so this is what happened during that time frame. The, oxygen, the oceans became oxygenated. Animals began to show dramatic diversification. In other words, there's a whole, whole bunch of species of animals being created here all at the same time. Um, the fastest growth in the number of major new animal groups took place during this time. So before, when they dig below this level, they don't find any fossils. There's no fossils below this level. But when they're at this level, they have all kinds of evidence of little small fossilized animals. Um, the first undoubted fossils of any sort of species, like worms and insects, shellfish and starfish, snails, sponges, all those kind of things, they show up all over the world. 
This is, this is everywhere. It's not just in one place. It's all over the place. If you dig down deep enough in your backyard, you'll probably find some of these things. Because they're everywhere. Because the ocean was everywhere. It was all over the place. Genesis chapter 7 says this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. And then in verse 19 it says, The waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. So the whole entire earth was covered by water. And animals died, and people died, and everything died except for the animals that lived in the ocean, except for the animals that got covered over by the mud that's being pushed around by the water. So when they got pushed around by, when the mud got pushed over the top of animals, those animals were suddenly and uh, without any kind of warning covered up and then pressurized under that dirt. And that's why you have fish eating fish and, and animals giving birth all at the same time while now they're a fossil. They didn't die in birth and then lay there for a hundred years before they were covered up in dirt. So the Bible is very clear. The Bible says this is what happened. The evidence is there. So do we have blind faith or do we have real faith? We have evidential faith. I like to use, the, I like to use that expression. I have evidential faith. I have faith based in evidence that is based in science. So we, can't, we, we don't need to be told, oh, you don't believe in science anymore. Somebody says that, stop them cold. They say, that is not true. Let me show you some science that proves my point. And then tell them what, give them an answer. Okay, so here's some things. Scientists or evolutionists have tried to debunk the Cambrian explosion because this is the, the biggest detriment to the evolutionists is the Cambrian explosion. So uh, they say, well, it covers a period of millions of years. But in fact, the remains that the creatures found there were perfectly and fully formed. They're not, they're not transitional. They're not partial. They're fully formed. That means they were like adult animals. Um, Okay, number six, the fossil record exhibits complexity. Okay, so ev- evolution says that things start simple and get complex, right? So start from a single cell, and from that single cell we have multiple cells, and then from the multiple cells and we have all the diversity of life. That's why I told you three weeks ago that your cousin is the oak tree, if you believe in evolution. So the fossil record, though, shows that there was complexity from the beginning, not just as it grew through. There's no complexity. The stuff that's found in, Cam- in the Cambrian level is just as complex as the stuff that was found in the Jurassic level, and just as complex as it was the stuff that was found at even higher levels. Bats. The oldest bat, fossilized bat. The oldest fossilized bat, guess what it looks like? A bat. The same bat that we have flying around the earth today looks like the fossil that was found Millions of years, that was supposedly millions of years old. Did a bat evolute, you know, did a bat evolve? Oh, that's just an exception, they would claim. Well, what about the trilobite? That is actually an animal, the trilobite. It's a weird animal, I know, but it had a set of gills associated with each of its legs. It had a complex muscle system, had a circulation system, including a heart. It had antenna with a sensory function. It had a complex brain and a nervous system. It had an eye. And each of its eyes had 15,000 lenses. 
They have they have uh, the fossil. They can count the lenses on the fossil. That's how they know this. They can look down into the fossil with a with a magnifying glass, and they can literally count how many lenses are on the eye of this trilobite. The trilobite was found in the Cambrian explosion, supposedly 600 million years ago. It's got the most complex eye of every, any creature ever alive. You only have how many lenses do you have? One. Yeah, that had 15,000 in its eye. Isn't it amazing? Complex eye. It's incredible. Uh, there's no such thing as a simple creature either. And this is where we'll end. Microbiology has taught us that a bacterium is more complex than a modern city because every because it takes proteins and it takes enzymes and it takes all of these different components just to make one cell. So every cell in your body is made up of a whole bunch of other stuff. So even though we think, well, it's a simple cell, it's not simple. It's very complex. Job, in the gospel, in, or in the Old Testament, in Job said, um, he said that dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Okay, so we, we have these dead things. We know what they are, and we know that they're evidence of God. And then we finish with Mark, show out 12:27. He is not the God of the dead, though. God is not the God of the dead. He's actually the God of the living. And he, Jesus says, you know, you therefore do greatly err. And the evolutionists greatly err. See, their God is a dead, a dead fossil. They want to worship this God, this fault, this false fossilized creature and say that it's evolution. But God is the one that caused it to happen because he was dealing with sin in the world. So, um, I just find it amazing. You know, we can spend, an enormous amount of time looking at all these dead things, and we can talk about them, and we can try to pronounce their funny names. But the bottom line is, is that fossils prove creation; they don't prove evolution. The evidence is there. Just because they say something happened 500 million years ago, they have to put that kind of a timeline on things. Because if they don't, then they have to say, "Well, God created everything in seven days." And I'm not even saying that those seven days are great periods of long time, because they're not. They're seven literal 24-hour days when he created the earth. And then in chapter 7, God brought the flood of Genesis, brought the flood, and the oceans filled up, the earth broke open, mud flowed everywhere. If, you were, if you've ever been in a, like, a, let's see, where was it? It was a flooding of St. Louis just a couple of weeks ago, right? I think it was. Um in Springfield. Oh, that's right. It was. Well, you go down there and look at the mud that's poured into the buildings just just from a week and how much mud and silt is in the buildings that they have to get out. Uh, my office, the company I used to work for, was over in Riverside. Back in, I don't know, the mid-90s, there was a major flood, and we were, on, we were out of the office for about two weeks until the water finally receded. Uh, it was it was horrible. I mean, there was silt everywhere. There was mud everywhere. You leave it there long enough, and it'll settle. But when God moved the oceans, and He flooded the earth, all of that mud and everything covered over all of these animals. That Cambrian explosion that that was the explosion of Noah's flood. That was what that was, and it covered up all the animals that were floating around in the oceans. It covered them up, and then the live animals that were there. Uh, the you know, uh, animals on the ground anyway, they got buried. Human beings got buried. We'll talk about why you don't have a whole lot of fossilized humans 
here in a couple of weeks. So, because that's interesting with when you compare all of this stuff too. Any questions? So it's eight o'clock. I finished on time tonight. All right. No questions. to come back for the other part of the story. All right. Um, well, let's pray and we'll be done. Well, before we pray, let me just say this. If you ever doubt, if you're not sure about Jesus, about the, the reality of God after looking at these kind of things um, and you still have questions, let's talk about some stuff. Let's, let's, uh, let's make sure you're really solid uh, and you really know how to give an answer for the challenges that come at you, whether they come at you directly and one of your friends are asking you a question or making fun of you or laughing at you or whatever. And if, even if they're not directing it at you, maybe you need to say something to them anyway. Hey, you know what? I got evidence that I, I can, the evidence is real. The evidence is there for creation. And so keep, keep that in mind. Okay? All right. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for tonight, uh, for the opportunity to just uh, be able to teach here. We pray that it be encouraging to everybody. I just want to pray also, Father, that you would um, open the eyes of the blind, that you would help them to see the truth and the reality of of you as creator, but also you as Savior. Uh, Father, every one of us uh, need a Savior. Some of us have a Savior. Some still are seeking. I pray, Father, for those that are seeking and not really sure that you would use uh, the ones that have the answers in your word, that you would use them according to your will to be able to uh, to give that answer and be able to prove uh, that you do exist and that you do care and that you do uh, that you do save and we thank you for it all in Jesus name amen